We value the reading of God's word in the service. Uh, So if you will be grabbing your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes 3 this morning, um, in keeping with uh, the instruction uh, from our Lord and tradition, we are going to uh, read from Scripture here this morning. Reading from Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of men... And what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They have all the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all his havel. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot." Who can bring to him to see what will be after him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, Join me with a word of prayer. Uh, Grant me, O most loving Lord, to rest in you above all creatures, above all health and beauty, above all glory and honor, above all power and dignity, above all knowledge and subtlety, above all riches and art, above all fame and praise, 
above all sweetness and comfort, above all hope and promise, above all gifts and favor that you give and impart to us, above all jubilee that the mind of man can receive and feel. And finally, Lord, we ask, above all angels and archangels, above all heavenly hosts, above all things visible and invisible, and above all that you are not. O my God, most loving Lord, cause us to rest in Christ today. Speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Our title and theme for today's message, A Time for Everything. A Time for Everything. Ecclesiastes is a book for the Christian pilgrim. It teaches us that we are not here very long, that life is a but a breath. It is a havel, not vanity. It is a short time, short-lived life. And by the way, the Jews, they had three feasts that they went to uh, once a year. One of those feasts was the Feast of Tabernacles. And at that feast, they would read Ecclesiastes together. Every father in his home would open the scroll of Ecclesiastes And he would read Ecclesiastes to his family because Tabernacles was a feast where they celebrated uh, their pilgrimage out of Egypt to the promised land. Namely, that they dwelt in tents. They didn't have homes. They lived in tents. And so they read Ecclesiastes because that was life. And it is life for us. We are passing through this world. We are but pilgrims journeying on to our promised land, our heavenly homeland with Christ. So there's a time for everything in your life, on your way to glory. One observation I want to make before we look at this text in detail, simply that uh, this list here in verses 1 to 8 is is descriptive, not prescriptive. What do I mean by that? I mean that uh, you're not supposed to put in your calendar at some point, well, tomorrow I'm gonna, at 2 p.m. I'm going to start crying or weeping or mourning or, you know, next week it's a good time to hate somebody, okay? This list is not prescriptive per se, though there's implications for, uh, for it, but this list is descriptive. This is life under the sun. This is life under God's providence, as his people, as we journey to glory. So this is descriptive. All right, so let's get going. I have eight points and two takeaways. Follow along. First point, everything has its rightful place. Everything has its rightful place. Verse 1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So nothing happens out of season, according to the preacher. Nothing happens at the wrong time. Nothing is random. We speak in our day of untimely deaths. But there are no untimely deaths in God's sight. Losing your keys 
when you're in a hurry, was the right time to lose your keys. Everything has its rightful place. Look again at the verse. There's something unique about, I think, this verse about the providence of God. That's the doctrine that this verse is teaching, by the way. It's not simply that the seasons or the times or or days that have been ordained by God. And it's not simply that the matter, every matter has been ordained in those days, what you'll do. What's being taught here in the pervasive providence of God is that every matter, everything you do, has been ordained to fit precisely at the right time, at the right season in your life. Everything has its rightful place. It's interesting when you talk to non-Christians about the providence of God and that you're a Christian. Even non-Christians, have you noticed this? They'll say things like, um, everything happens for a reason. And you're like, You're not even a Christian. How are you a Calvinist? (laughs) How's that possible? Everything happens for a reason. That's what we say as Reformed people and as Christians. But how did you come along with that? Well, it's this aspect of God's natural law in people's hearts. Yes, everything does have a reason. Everything fits together for some odd divine reason. Again, we call this Reformed theology, don't we? But really, it's just Ecclesiastes 3.1. That's all it is. Everything has its rightful place. Uh, Two. All our days are determined by God. All our days are determined by God. Verse 2. A time born and a time to die. So not one day is lost on God. Not one day is lost on God. We sing it in the hymn in Christ alone from life's first cry as just a wee little babe. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. All of life is determined by God Almighty. From the time you are born to the time you die and everything in between, it fits perfectly together. Uh, Look at the verses again. There's 14 couplets in these verses, 28 stanzas, both of which are multiples of seven. I don't think that's coincidental. I think the author, the preacher, Solomon Kohelet, seven is the perfect number in the Hebrew language. It's talking about the comprehensiveness of God's sovereignty, the comprehensiveness of his providence, From the day you're born to the day you die and everything in between, it's all determined and decreed by almighty Jesus Christ. And he says here that it's um, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. God is the great gardener of life. He planted your life to live and one day he's going to pluck you up to die. And you will be no more. We had no say as to the day of our birth. (laughs) None. And we have no say as to the day of our death. 
life as Havel. You and I, beloved, are not in control. We're not in charge. We are like an afternoon thunderstorm in a summer of Colorado, here for about 20 minutes, and gone like that. All our days are determined by God. So enjoy, beloved, not being in charge. You are not in control. Three, God's prerogatives. God's prerogatives. A time to kill, verse 3, and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. It is God's prerogative to kill and it is God's prerogative to heal. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, if you would. This is taught all over the Bible, but I just point to you for one verse, Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. You can also see 1 Samuel 2, Hosea 6, what the Lord does. He's in charge of life and death. He's in charge of killing and healing. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. Now I see, he says, that I, even I am he, and there is no God besides me, the Lord says. I kill. This is the Lord here. And I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. If you're thinking right about now, that sounds odd. God talks like that? Is that right? Well, back up to verse 4 of chapter 32. Is this right for God to do? Well, the rock, 32.4, his work is what? Perfect. And all his ways are justice. So yes, everything God does is right. He himself is right. He himself is perfect. He's just. And so his works add extra are right because he himself ad intra is perfect and just. So when he kills, it's right. And when he makes alive and heals, it is also right. There are seasons in your life, beloved, when it is necessary for God to break you down and it is necessary in seasons for God to build you up. And God is in charge of both. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in affliction and suffering, I tend to think in my unbelief, so this is, this is not a good thought, is God singling me out? You ever think that? Because I don't see what God is doing to me, to them. So is he singling me out in some way? Is he making me an exception for some odd, joyful pleasure? No. What God is doing in breaking you down in the words of Ecclesiastes 3, he's seeking to build you up, but he's got to bring you low for dependence and reliance upon him because he knows more than you do how much needs to die in you. 
And so he cuts and he cuts and he cuts and he cuts in order to heal and to heal and to heal and to heal. He's not making an exception out of you. Actually, his fatherly discipline is a mark that you're actually his child. The uncertainty of life, Charles Bridges says, shows that our true rest is only to be found in practical dependence upon God. It's his prerogatives to kill and to make alive. Ecclesiastes 3, once again, uh, point number four, verse four, people of balance. Let's be a people of balance. I find myself out of balance so often. Let's be a people of balance. Verse four, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. That makes some of you uncomfortable, I bet. Makes me uncomfortable a little bit. Christians are people of balance. And God has built into your life times when you will cry and times when you will laugh. And some of us live lives as if we're afraid to be happy. Others of us live lives as if we're afraid to be sad. In Ecclesiastes saying you need to be people, congregation, people of balance. You need to know what it is to dance and laugh. And you, know what, and you need to know what it means to weep and mourn and to cry. Pour out your soul to God. Isn't it true that the Lord's day is a perfect day for being people of balance? I don't know about you, but when I heard Robert praying the confession of sin today, and it happens almost every Sunday, oh, you just led into the, to the foulness of who you are, the vileness, your sin. Before God, though Christ has made you his own, we still live lives of rebellion and sin. And sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's weeping and mourning. How could I, Lord Jesus Christ, live in such a way filled with such unbelief in my soul? And then comes the assurance. And you're like, whoa. These sweet words, these comforting words, the assurance of pardon. That I am not my own. Christ has made me his own through his life, death, and resurrection. I'm in his blood. I'm united in him. I'm in an unbreakable bond. And those sweet words of the gospel wash over you. We're teaching you, even in our Lord's Day worship, to be people of balance, to learn how to cry, and to learn how to rejoice. This is the only world, beloved, where sickness and death can enter, so we weep and mourn, but it is the only world where sickness and death will be no more. So we rejoice, and we are a glad people because of Christ. Point five, verse five. Relationships are good, but they're hard. You're probably thinking, yep. 5A, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. I have no idea what that means. I tried to figure it out for you, but I just don't know. Some think it's talking about sexual intimacy. I, I was lo- that was lost on me there. Something it's about building stone, like building a wall for your city, 
you're casting away stones, you're clearing the soil so you have good soil to build a wall or a house, you, you gather stones. I'm just not sure. 5B, I know what this means. It's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. In a fallen world, relationships will be fractured. They'll be hard. Marriage will be hard. Friendships will be difficult. Relationships will be strained. And and there's a time to refrain from embracing gossip, envy, slander, jealousy. Again, Repentance is not given. Forgiveness is withheld. There's, a, there's times in our life, in this under-the-sun Havel life, this short life, though, though gifted it is, there's times where we refrain from embracing and our, our hearts and our souls break for that. There's a time to embrace. There's a sweetness to fellowship. There's a sweetness to friendship. There should be a sweetness to you, your marriage. Relationships are, are good, but they're They're hard. And there's nothing unusual about that. Let's, let's not be overly um, realistic about life under the sun. Expect hardship. Six, nothing we have lasts forever. Verse six, nothing we have lasts forever. Time to seek or to get and a time to lose, a time to keep. And a time to cast away. We will lose people to cancer. We will not have them because they will die. But we will gain new babies, adoptions. This is life. Nothing wrong with it per se. It's life under the sun. Nothing lasts forever. Youth, unless you're Tom Cruise. Cars, reputation, houses, achievements, family, friends, money, clothes, our memories. Even those don't last forever. I get these alerts on my phones. This is where you were six years ago. I'm like, I don't even remember that. That's Havel. Life is but a sigh. Nothing we have lasts forever. God is in control of it all. We are not. He's in charge. We are not. There's a time to say hello and a time to say goodbye. It's life under the sun, beloved. It's life under the sun, We are not in charge of the hellos, and we are not in charge of the goodbyes. Nothing lasts forever. Well, almost nothing, I suppose. As we sang earlier, Christ lasts forever. Christ is from everlasting to everlasting. Our days are like grass, but he's the rock of ages. He does not change. We change. I've changed since I've gotten up here before. He never changes. He's everlasting to everlasting. We have him forever, but not this life. Praise be to his grace. We have him forever. Uh, seven, suffering and healing are inevitable. Suffering and healing are inevitable. 
A, a time to a tear, to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Uh, the idea here behind tearing is the tearing of a garment in times of grief. The idea of sewing is a time of healing. You're sewing your garments back together. You, you've healed from the agony of the suffering. I'm going to go to my Aunt Pat's funeral in May. She didn't know she was going to die in 2023, but God did. You're going to go to some funerals this year, I suppose. You don't know you're going to be there, but you will. And there's going to be tearing and agony, and there's going to be sowing. You'll heal. I joked with Robert and Jacob on our trip uh, to the conference this couple weeks ago. We were talking about Ecclesiastes. I was getting their thoughts on, on Ecclesiastes, and I said, you know what, guys? You're going to put me in the ground one day. I hope I die before them. And an hour after you put me in the dirt. Do you know what everyone in this room is going to say? Man, I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> you want to go to Jason's Deli? Get the manager special? And you know what? That's okay. Right? There's times to tear. And there are times to sow. Job's friends didn't really know how to keep silent or, or when to speak. Um, it's a mark of wisdom how to do that and when to do that in times of grief. Uh, lastly, verse 8, signs of the age. There's uh, signs of the age. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Life will include destruction and life will include restoration. Life will include war and life will include peace. That's just the way life is. There are generations of profound bravery, and there are generations of profound and ordinary living. That's just how life is. Matthew 24, there are signs of the A's, Jesus says. There is wars. Remarking here, Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time for war. There's just a time for it. Unknown to us, known to God, there's a necessary time for it. Jesus says, wars and rumors of wars, what? Must. Must take place. They must happen. Not prescriptive, it's just descriptive. It's going to happen. But the end is not 
yet. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. There is the rider on the crimson horse. He is riding today. He is riding in the inter-advent age. Revelation 6. Jesus is opening the seals. Seals, bowls, and trumpets judgments are parallel judgments that happen during the inter-advent age. Our day today. 6-3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red, crimson really, the color of blood. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. You hear the language of Ecclesiastes 3 there? He was permitted. He was allowed. Christ, God, was giving him allowance to rack the earth with war and blood so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword that was permitted by God. He is riding today. Blood is being shed. Wars are happening and it must take place. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And the red rider is riding today. 20th century, more lives were lost in war and atrocities than all of human history. Two world wars in in which millions were killed, not to mention the countless other conflicts of lesser scale. Think, beloved, of the survivors in the concentration camps, maciated themselves, barely able to resemble the form of man. You see those pictures and you're like, are those even humans? You think of Pol Pot slaughtering million Cambodians in the so-called killing fields in the 1970s or the 30s, 40s, and 50s of Joseph Stalin decimating millions of his own people through his Soviet machine. You think of half a million Rwandans massacred in just 100 days in 1994. That's 1994. That's 5,000 people a day. The red Rider is riding today. There's a time for war under God's sovereignty that is life in his providence. There are signs of the age today. There are seasons for it, beloved. We don't know what's transpiring. We are not in charge. God is in control. He knows what he's doing. Well, back to Ecclesiastes 3. I just want to give you a couple of takeaways in the next few verses. Uh, Number one, life is a gift. Life is a gift. You're probably thinking, I heard that last week, Ryan, and I heard it the week before. Well, you're going to hear it again today. And you're going to hear it throughout this series because that is one of his points. Life is a gift. Verse 9, What gain has the worker from his toil if everything has been ordained by God and everything is determined by him? Well, then what's the point of working? That's his question. What gain has the worker from his toil? Is there any gain, lasting gain, I can have in my labor? And he says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. 
We talked about this last week. There is no lasting gain from our toil. Life in God's world is not lasting gain. They can't give that to you. Life in God's world is gift. That's it. Gift to enjoy. Don't expect too much from it. So the conclusion, verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Don't worry about what God has ordained. Don't worry about his sovereignty. Be joyful. Life is a gift. Do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. Enjoy your wisdom. Enjoy that PhD. Enjoy the pleasure of life. Enjoy your work. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy it all. And by the way, this is miles away from hedonism. Miles away. Hedonism says, consume it all for yourself without any thought to the glory of God or eternity. What Ecclesiastes is saying, you're going to die. You're going to be with God sooner than you think. So enjoy the life you have now, not the pretend life you think you're going to have one day. Miles away from hedonism. Life is a gift. It's not gain. Enjoy it. I was taken late into soccer practice on Monday. It's 4.10, as I remember, I looked at the clock. And I was grouchy because I had stuff to do. And I wasn't done with work. And we're trying to find the cleats and all the rest. And I'm grouchy and impatient. And it dawned on me. This is exactly what Ecclesiastes is all about. You hypocrite. I was thinking to myself, I don't have time to take you to practice. And I thought, yes, you do. Because there's coming a time when you won't be able to. So enjoy the ride to Wheat Ridge. Enjoy the ride. Life is a gift. Uh, number two, and I'll be done. Uh, trust God. Trust God. Verse 11. Perhaps the most beautiful verse in this book. He, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Beloved, do you believe verse 11? He makes everything beautiful in 
it's time. Why did my loved one die? Why are we out of money again? Why? And God says, I'm going to make it all beautiful one day. You trust me. You're not in charge. I am. You know what's better than a life of knowing why things are happening? The life of faith. I'd rather cast myself on Jesus and trust him than find out everything God is doing. I want to throw myself and I want you to throw yourself all upon Jesus and to trust him and not spend your anxiety trying to find out why he is doing what he's doing. He's told you in a sense. He's making it beautiful in its time. You trust that. And you bow to that. And you shove that truth into your soul and live. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we are so thankful that uh, as the child song says, the whole world is in his hands. My life, this church, and this world, it's in your hands. And I don't know what you are doing in the mundane and in the sufferings. Ultimately, I know you, and that is enough. You're making all things beautiful. Help us to trust. Help us to love Christ more and more all our days. Amen.